0: You're tuned in to the Restaurant Rockstar's podcast, powerful ideas to rock your restaurant. Here's your host, Roger Bodwin.
1: Hey, rock stars. Do you love burgers? Like who doesn't love a great burger, right? So today I'm talking to two guys that have entertainment backgrounds, but now they're behind a super hot concept called Muya, And it's a burger joint. Burgers, fries, and shakes. Who doesn't love that? But what's really cool about Muya is on top of your, you know, standard Angus beef burger, you can also get keto, paleo, vegan. Local, gluten free, 100% fresh all the way, and they call it lifestyle burgers. I went to the website, it was making me super hungry. I think you know what I mean once we start talking to these guys. But on top of all of the COVID stuff that's been happening, we'll talk about what they've done to pivot and their best practices. We also talk about staff training, rewards programs, the foundation of the business, and of course, their super hot franchise and what those franchise opportunities mean if you're looking for a franchise. So stay tuned to this episode. Super happy to bring it to you. And here we go. Welcome back, everyone. This is the Restaurant Rockstars podcast. Of course, these are conversations to build brands, rock profits, deliver amazing guest service experiences. Today, super excited. I have Mr. Ted Beeman, as well as Tony Darden, and we're going to be talking all about a hot concept called Mooyah, burgers, fries, and shakes. Welcome to the show, guys. How are you today?
2: Doing great. Thank you. Great, Roger. Thank you.
1: I appreciate having you. You know, I love talking shop with operators and you guys are doing some pretty exciting things, but of course you're hitting the whole same challenges that the industry is hitting with COVID. Before we get into all of that, I understand, Ted, that you've got an entertainment background in addition to a hospitality background. Let's talk about that. And then I'm going to ask Tony all about his experience in hospitality because I know that's pretty extensive, but we'll start with you, Ted. Tell us about, what's your backstory?
2: Great. Thanks, Roger, for having us on. So uh, I am currently working with two gentlemen. Uh, We are partners in a new firm called Agape Management Company, and we came together because we share um, some values, but we also share experiences in restaurant hospitality and the entertainment sectors. So uh, specifically, I have been in the restaurant industry for years and years and years. I was with Metro Media Restaurant Group back in the 90s and early 2000s, which actually is where I met Tony. Uh, So we have a relationship going back that many years, uh, even though neither one of us is old enough. So that's a little surprising. (laughs) That could be true. Um, And then from there, I helped establish some uh, brands uh, here in the Texas area. Um, uh, Boston's Gourmet Pizza, which was moving from Canada to the U.S. I was part of that development here. I was part of of a group that was developing a barbecue restaurant and a fast casual barbecue restaurant here in Texas. Uh, And then about uh, three, four years ago, I got more into the entertainment side, uh, bringing a company called Kidzania from Mexico to the U.S. We were the franchise E for the entire United States. And that's where I met my two partners, Greg and Sean, and their experience is much more heavily in entertainment uh, Sean, as an example, was the VP of operations for Dave and Buster's uh, for about 20 years. He ran about half the country for them. Uh, my partner, Greg, was with uh, Jillian's uh, back in the day and was CEO for Gameworks. Uh, and we all got together at uh, Kidzania. And then, as we were transitioning out of there and looking for what we wanted to do next, we felt like we had a team that had complementary skill sets, uh, had really deep experiences in uh, restaurants, hospitality, and entertainment. And we were looking for uh, brands that we could partner with that we felt great about the brand, its future, the leadership team, and how we could help it grow. That's
1: fantastic. You know, I've always believed that the restaurant business is entertainment, it's showbiz. So clearly there's a crossover there. But I had to ask, based on what you said, is there any sort of an emphasis on that old I don't know if it's old, but it's a concept called Eatertainment. I think Rainforest Cafe comes to mind, Punchbowl Social. Some of these companies flew high for a while But then it was the same old, same old, and people didn't go back. There was no real reason. There was no real focus on the service or the food. It was all about the crazy experience of walking in and dazzling the customer with the ambiance. But if you went once, it's like, what was the point of going again? You know what I mean? Some of these concepts have fallen by the wayside. But still, there's an element of the entertainment that has to combine with the hospitality, that has to combine with the quality of the product you're offering, that has to combine with the service of the staff and the training and all those things where do you feel on that? And, and then I want to get to Tony's introduction.
2: Well, uh, many, many years ago, um, someone that I worked with told me that there's a difference between eating out and dining out. And that's a really critical difference. And dining out encompasses everything about the experience. The food, of course, has to be there, right? Because if you're a restaurant and the food's not good, nobody's ever going to come back. Correct. But it's it's the ambiance, it's the service, it's how I make you feel when you walk in the door. It's, you know, that desire to come back. It's the connection to the community. That's one of the interesting things. As the world gets bigger, the world also gets smaller. And in this day and age, you know, you really need to be connected to your local community. You, you know, people want to see you at the soccer games and at the PTA meetings and those kinds of things. And so your, your local management, you know, if you've got multiple sites, You know, you really want to have them connected. And so those are the things that differentiate, in my mind, a great idea, a great concept, potentially, from a great brand that has legs.
1: Thank you very much for answering that. Tony, let's bring you in right now because you certainly need no introduction. You've got a long, illustrious career in this business. Lots of brands under that Darden name. In fact, when I was in graduate school in 1988, my, you know, my crew, the people I hung with, my, my fellow students and friends, we all hung out at a Benigan's outside of Boston, Massachusetts, and it was kind of our place, and yeah. it was always great service, and it was always cool ambiance, and we loved the menu, and it just felt like a cool place to go. That was many, many years ago, of course, but I have fond memories of hanging out at a Benigan's, yeah. and that's just was one that, of the prints.
0: Uh, was that city place? Yeah, uh, it was actually... Or Framingham?
1: Say, yes, Framingham. Thank you. That was right... Oh. Close to Wellesley, Mass, where we went to Babson for our MBAs.
0: <laughs> yeah, very cool. Well, hopefully you had a great experience, Ted. We absolutely ah, did.
1: Good. You know, so tell us, I mean, how did you first get into the hospitality business? How did you start all these brands? How did you rise to be such a huge persona in this business? I mean, I'm honored to be talking to you right now.
0: Oh, goodness. Well, thanks for having us. We appreciate the chance to, to obviously speak to the relationship that Ted and I have and, in the Agape group, have with with Muya. Um, You know, I, I started as a as a server and a, and a bartender back in in Southern California. Started with with Benegans, and uh, you know, and just I caught the bug at that point And and continue. Had graduated college, had a communications degree. Didn't really know what I wanted to do uh, in life, and and just continue to get opportunities to uh, to move forward with with Benegans, and ultimately. You know, spent 13, 14 years there, and uh, that's where I met Ted. Eventually, I, you know, I, I moved to the Plano, Texas market, moved to Dallas, Fort Worth, and, uh, and and spent some time here. And you know, after after my run at Benigan's, I, uh, I I was with a concept called Cracker Barrel uh, yes. for for a little bit again. You know, I did was there for a few years. was uh, was in operations, and then uh, and then spent a bulk of my last probably 12 to 15 years with. Uh, with a concept of Panera Bread and uh, and really, uh, really learned a lot outside of the operations piece with Panera, but really learned about off-premise and digital strategy and, and you know, and cravability of, of food and sustainability of food and and, and really just enjoyed, enjoyed so much of my time there, got to learn from Ron Shake, who's the founder and CEO, um, you know, for Panera for a long, long time. And then. You know, ultimately found my way in, in front of the folks that, uh, that, uh, that had purchased Muya. Uh, as you know, Muya was purchased by a private equity firm in, in 2017, uh, the Gala Corporation, and, uh, you know, I was, I was connected with them. And, uh, you know, through those meetings was was offered the chance to lead, lead Muya and, and jumped at it, really, because since I had been in, in the DFW market, and MUYA started in two thousand seven. I've been a fan and a consumer of MUYA. My kids, my wife, you know, we we have loved MUYA from day one, from the first restaurant that was that was in Plano, Texas. And and so, you know, for me, it was a great chance to to partner with a brand I felt uh, just had had tremendous reason to exist uh, within within the better burger space. And, and so, obviously, jumped at it and have been here since April of two thousand nineteen and uh, I've uh, just uh, enjoyed my time and and really enjoyed the journey that we've come on with Muya because we really feel that that we're at a we're at a, a really great spot right now. Well, I
1: gotta tell you that I've always believed that a great restaurant website really brings the experience to life for someone if they've never even stepped foot in the location. And I was on your website, and I'll tell you the burgers are making me hungry. But I just love the design of it and all the different things that you're doing. And it just engaged me and it pulled me in. And it's like, I literally just kept going and going and learning more and more about the brand. And that was a really powerful brand building, awareness building, um, compelling reason to visit Amuya if there's one close by or if you're traveling. So. Really good job with that. So let's talk about the brand itself, Muya, and what the history is and what it's really all about, what its reason for being is, what its competitive advantages are. Take us through, you know, your, your philosophies, all that stuff. And I don't want to overwhelm you with the question, but just kind of give the audience an overview of Muya, if they've never been to one. And then sure. we're going to talk about some specifics about the brand.
0: Absolutely again it was founded in 2007 it was really a place where, where folks could go in a casual environment but at the same point get a really elevated food experience and you know from from our perspective what differentiates Muya from, from other brands is we use we use certified angus beef on our burgers they're fresh they're never frozen we we hand got our french fries in-house uh, so we punch those fries in-house by hand uh, we bake our buns in-house. We don't get a lot of credit for that sometimes. We're really trying to talk about that, but we bake our buns in-house. And then we make these tremendous shakes that uh, that we only use real ice cream uh, in the shakes. So, you know, from, from that perspective, it started as a casual uh, kind of place where you could go and get an elevated food experience. And it's continued down that path. And, and, and you know, when, when the brand was purchased from the private equity firm, it was purchased from the founder. And so... You know a lot of times what you get with founder-led organizations you get a really great concept that, that maybe has some things that needed to be worked on to really stabilize it and prepare for growth and so that's what the team is in place now is really to, to stabilize the brand prepared for uh the scalability that comes with with growing growing across the organization so things like you know as i mentioned the elevated food experience is tremendous but you know we we've, we've implemented a new prototype and design that we feel that evens out and and really gives you the same esteem Our food is very high esteem, but the experience you get, we feel that we're adding self-esteem to that experience with this new design that we have, which obviously Ted and team have, uh, have, have have been big fans of as well. But so a lot of things like that, preparing it for the ability to do off premise, obviously in the pandemic, you know, everybody went off premise in the pandemic, but we had, you know, had done this, this prototype that, that, had separate areas, separate entrance and exits for delivery drivers to areas to put your to-go food and, and really make it, ease, make it an ease of operations standpoint for, for folks that wanted their food takeout that didn't want to necessarily come in and sit out in our, uh, in our restaurants. So, uh, again, reason to exist, great food uh, that we feel uh, much of the country uh, is, is really, really going to love.
1: You know, the pandemic has certainly been a playing field leveler, to say the least. And obviously, you know, survival of the fittest has certainly taken its toll on this industry in a huge amount. But I would say that your concept was pretty well positioned pre-COVID and now still during the pandemic. And no one knows, you know, what's in store in the future. But I'd really like to get a sense, and I know this audience is going to learn a lot from this um, conversation about some of the best practices and how the business is operating and how it's pivoted and shifted. And, you know, I know you've you've got digital menus and, and all that sort of thing, but the safety uh, practices and the communication with your customers to maintain their confidence. I mean, all these things are important to a brand today to not just survive, but be a stronger brand in the future. Tell us about the concept and how it actually operates and what percentage is delivery and off-premise. And that's, that's a big 30,000 feet view looking down on Muya, but we'd really love to hear it.
0: Well, it's certainly different now than it was pre COVID, right? So as you, as you, you know, as as we went into the the pandemic, number one, we had launched delivery across the entire system and it it got that across the finish line in, in, uh, at the end of 2019. So you know, luckily uh, or unluckily because of the pandemic, but we were in a position that, if you know, to pivot to an off-premise model was something that we were prepared to do, not knowing what was coming, but knowing that delivery was, was an area that we needed to be and we needed to continue to push our off-premise strategy and, and push our digital strategy. So, you know, as you as you look at it, going into the pandemic, we were between 8 and 10% of our sales were, were delivery or off-premise. Obviously, that got up to 100%. Uh, during During certain parts of the pandemic and right now we 're settling in and we 're still at twenty three to twenty five percent off premise uh, from a from a sales perspective we 've got a number of dining rooms open we have about sixty percent of our sixty five percent of our system that that have dining rooms open right now now we don 't know where that goes tomorrow and as we yeah. move forward here in the next couple of weeks we're yeah it keeps changing about. all the time <laughs> it, does. it does but uh, again overwhelmingly uh, the ability to uh offer takeout to offer delivery to do it through the app uh has proven very successful for us uh in uh in the in the pandemic
1: so let me ask you are all the stores controlling their own delivery versus third-party delivery uh
0: companies they're all they all participate in third-party delivery companies i see okay so the pivot from that and what we've had is is you know, we, we are now doing delivery through our app, which sig- significantly reduces the fees that, that our franchise owners would pay. And okay. so, obviously, a big part of our strategy is to, is to get folks into the app, uh, which, again, you, you you sign up for our app, you become a loyalty member, you order delivery, you can do everything through the app. And so, obviously, that's that's a big part of our strategy.
1: Let's talk a little bit about company-owned stores versus franchise-operated stores. What is the percentage, on uh, on on that going on right now
0: 99.9% franchise (laughs) we have one uh one company restaurant uh in Joliet Illinois so I mean for all intents and purposes we're we're a fully franchised brand and really set ourselves up to be uh a huge support for our franchise owners because obviously our franchise owners and partners are the lifeblood of this organization Mm -hmm. and everything we do is in service of them Uh, And everything we do is at a point of contribution to our franchise owners. Uh, Because ultimately, if if they're successful, uh, then the brand is successful. You know, I can't speak for
1: you, but I have to ask what qualifications you seek in a new franchisee in terms of experience they bring to the table, you know, contribution to make this whole thing happen and what support you offer them in terms of locations. Uh, Do they own the real estate? Are they leasing properties across the country? That sort of thing.
0: Certainly. Well, number one, you, you do not need to have restaurant experience to be a franchise owner uh, with Mouya. Now, that being said, I firmly believe that anybody who's going to be successful in, in the service industry or the hospitality industry has to have the hospitality gene. Right. Meaning they, they, they need to enjoy serving others. And so yes. that's something that we that we ferret out very early on. And there's got to be a strong business acumen. There's got to be an insatiable curiosity. Uh, and there's got to got to be the the ability and the want to solve problems because in the restaurant industry, really, it's you're presented with different challenges and different problems every day. And I think that's what makes it that's what makes it exciting. So from that regard, there's not you don't have to have uh, certainly experience, uh, but certainly you want to have those those qualities. From a, from a cost perspective, you know there are certainly franchise fees that uh, that uh, you know that uh, that we have forty thousand for one, and and then. You know, twenty-five thousand for any any additional units beyond that, and then you know we have royalties and and ad fund, and, and you know from a buildout perspective, it's really between four hundred and fifty and five hundred and fifty thousand dollars is where we is where we land uh, from a buildout standpoint. So we're, we're we're really proud of the economics, our our box economics that we have, uh, and and we're proud of of the profitability of our franchise owners.
1: And you've obviously built the economies of scale for you know mass purchasing of everything, and everything goes through the franchise company, and there are obviously requirements on what you must purchase from the brand and all that sort of thing, right?
0: Absolutely, absolutely. Part part of part of growing across a large geography is having predictability. Predictability equals scalability, and part of predictability is having the same products and the same experience on the West Coast. As in, the, as in, you know, the Midwest, and, and certainly in the Northeast and on the East Coast. So we we pride ourselves on that, and that's something we talk about extensively: is ensuring that we deliver the same guest experience, same employee experience across a wide geography. Consistency
1: is everything, and so is timing. So I get the sense that you are very strong supporters of your franchisees. But that was pre-COVID, right? And then all of a sudden. This big bump in the road happens, and now these operators are kind of out there saying, what do we do now? You know, And a lot of them, like you said, obviously the business acumen had to be there, but they had to rely on you for specific support and advice on how to move forward and what the challenges each individual franchise was facing because they're in different states, the requirements were different suddenly you had a whole team devoted, I would assume, to solving these challenges and helping your operators continue to succeed despite the crazy, you know, out of left field pandemic that hit
0: us all. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, and it, it, it really, uh, um, you know, when, when that hit, you know, we made a conscious decision, number one, to, to not lay off anybody we didn't furlough we didn't lay off anybody at, at the corporate level because again being a fully franchised brand this is a time when we have to support and we have to show a strong sense of support to our franchise owners and then the other thing is we aligned on a mission to get every one of our restaurants to the other side of this in the best cash position possible because again we are we are a, you know a somewhat large restaurant organization but at the end of the day being fully franchised we're a network of small businesses correct and so and small businesses were greatly affected when, when the pandemic hit. So, as you mentioned, early on, it became about, okay, from our ops perspective, you know, having multiple conversations a day with our franchise owners to really help them navigate that that payroll protection plan portal. Because as you know, and anyone who had to deal with that, th- th- those rules changed every day uh, and, and how to do it, what to do, and that. that. So, you know, our, our ops team literally we got ninety-seven percent of our system into that portal, and of that, hundred percent of those that got in got funded. And so we were real proud of that. So that was kind of early on in, in guiding our folks into that. And then from a from a brand perspective, it really became about how we how we support our franchise owners and how we allow them to serve the communities that they're in. So initially for us, it was we paid all delivery fees, we offered free delivery. Because, and as a, as a brand, we, we paid those delivery fees for our franchise owners, so they could they could start to generate some income and start to generate some momentum. And then it became, you know, we had to deepen that relationship. We 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 implemented a uh, you know a time bound set of of royalty deferrals and abatements to to ensure that again they get to the other side of this pandemic in the best cash position possible. And then we also found out it really became evident that. lot of the communities that we're in, it was hard to get bread. It was hard to get meat. As you guys remember, supply chains were really taxed during this time. So, you know, we offered our our ground beef, we sold our ground beef and and it was delivered. Uh, You know, the ground beef we use, whole potatoes, we baked our buns and we would package them up and send them out to folks and folks could order those for delivery for a time being. Again, just trying to find more ways uh, for our, uh, for our, our franchise owners to serve uh, the communities that they were in. And, And again, as, as that stabilized and as things started to stabilize with that, then we started to kind of layer back in and get back to what our initial strategy was from, a, from an innovation perspective. So we launched a, a campfire promotion in August, uh, which was initially supposed to go out in April. Again, pushed it back so we could help everybody get to kind of the other side of this and launch that campfire promotion. That was a great, great set of new news that, that we had pushed out and, and some great food innovation that hadn't really been there in a while. Uh, and and saw great returns uh, and saw some great traffic increases as uh, as as we launched that promotion. And so uh, it, it was really it was you know when 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 you go from open dining rooms to closed dining rooms in one day, you have to rally pretty quickly. Uh, and 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 you're you're focused on the here and now to stabilize it. And then as we got the here and now and we got stabilized and we got some momentum from a sales perspective, and then it became about you know, let's layer back in some strategy and let's layer back in some of the things that we had on our plan to win uh, that we felt we're going to continue to move the brand forward. Tony, before I get uh,
1: into other questions, I want to ask Ted, let me ask you, or both of you really, uh, with the new administration coming, you had mentioned PPP and other government relief. Do you see any more of that on the horizon? Do you have any inside information you can share with the audience?
0: Let you go, Ted. I mean, I,
2: I, I certainly don't have any inside information. I can definitively tell you that. Um, one of the things that, you know, I consistently have been reading for the last couple of weeks that I'm sure a number of other people have as well is um, there seems to be this thought that there will be a return to predictability in Washington uh, come January because uh, this is going to be a little bit more of a known entity, right? You're going to have a split in all likelihood, um, you know, legislative versus executive branch and they're going to have to work together in order to get something done. And so I think my hope is, I will tell you what my hope is. My hope is that Congress will come together and focus on two areas. One, additional support for small business, because as Tony said, we all know small businesses have been hurt the most during this time period, not that others haven't been hurt, but really disproportionately affected small businesses And two, clearly, we need as a country to move forward on both the vaccine and therapeutics. And that's got to be a parallel path. The sooner we can get the majority of people vaccinated, the sooner that we have therapeutics that are widely available for distribution um, in order to take care of those who do get sick, the sooner the world gets back to some semblance of normality. So that's my hope is that those become the two key focus points.
1: I appreciate that answer. Let me ask you, Ted, also about staff training. Well, No, staff recruiting first and then training philosophies and how you maintain consistency because that came up earlier. You know, Tony mentioned something about the importance of consistency, and that certainly is at the very foundation of your brand, the people that you hire and how you develop them, how your franchisees develop them to maintain that consistency of service and create that image, that aura around the brand that invites people back and makes them feel like, hey, I had a great time here and it wasn't just about the great food, it was about the service I received. What are your philosophies and is there any special training that you impart to the franchisees? Because that is one of the most important details of the thousands of details of running a restaurant
2: was that for me or tony uh, either of you <laughs> well I, let me tell you our perspective or both of you and and i will tell you that um, the Moya team has done a really great job of setting us up for success in this area so really pleased at what they've done as a brand um, i think that you're right there's there's two different questions that you have to ask when hiring in, in the hospitality industry. First and foremost is, does the person have a heart for service? As Tony was alluding to earlier, you know, you can't take someone who fundamentally dislikes people or who <laughs> fundamentally feels like, really? you know, yeah. the world owes them something and put them in front of it in a guest-facing business and expect good results. So as we're hiring for our first Muya location, literally right now, we're doing that. Um, the, the number one thing we're trying to get to in all of our interviews is do they like people and do they see themselves as someone who can provide service to others? Really from that point, then it becomes question number two, are they coachable? Is this someone who will take feedback, who will learn and who will put that into place? Um, a lot of people will listen, not everybody will listen and then do something with that. Um, As you talk about consistency and you talk about execution, to me, it really comes down to those two factors, because there are certain things that are non-negotiable. How you bake the bread, how you cook the hamburger, how you make the milkshake. There's a procedure and a recipe that must be followed to ensure that that is a consistent experience, every single guest, every single Mooyah location across the country. And so you have to be coachable in order to be able to develop those skill sets. The the art side, less the science side, is how do I interact with people? And that gets down to their personality, their servant heart. Um, And that's where we as a franchisee and as a business talk about the unselfish concern for the welfare of others. That's really who we are and what we're about. That's why we chose the name Agape Management Company, um, because that's what we want to impart back to the communities in which we operate. And that's, the employees that work with us, that's the guests that come in the door. And again, that's the community in which we, uh, we were fortunate enough to, to have a location.
1: Excellent. That also segues into my next question. Let's talk about some of the community give back fundraising activities uh, that the company participates in. And if you could sort of explain those things and what the end results are, and it's obviously a win-win for everyone. But if you could explain that, I'd be really interested. And I think the audience would as well.
0: Yeah, we have we have a really robust fundraising uh, platform, and uh, and and really, it's it's you know our local store marketing team, which we think again is a differentiating point for us. But our local store marketing team works directly with our franchise owners to curate uh, a personalized plan uh, for for that specific trade area. And a big part of that is is partnering with with local organizations, schools, churches. Uh, Things like that, uh, and and using Muya as kind of the vehicle uh, for those for those fundraisers. So again, you know, people come in and, and again it it helps the franchise owner because it gets folks into the building, but at the same point, you're really there to help certain organizations within your community. So that is that is a big, big piece that you know, when we're talking to folks that that potentially wanna be new franchise owners with us, that's something we talk about a lot. And 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 that that really endears. Uh, muya to to people and and draws them in and the cool thing the cool thing that the, the team did you know we we challenged them uh, uh, pre pandemic and, and it really brought this to a forefront in the pandemic, but they've been able to execute digital fundraisers uh, as well uh, throughout this pandemic with closed dining rooms and things like that uh, the team the team Ah, uh, figure out a way to still do fundraisers, but do them virtually or do them do them uh, digitally. So when the people were off premise uh, and be able to uh, apply some of those funds uh, to to the organization. So it was, it was real proud of the the, the brand team uh, and and how they they were able to launch that because that wasn't something that we were planning on for 2020. That was something that was down the road in 2021. But uh, really really proud of how they did that.
1: That is awesome. You know, it it is definitely about giving back and, and not just about creating a powerful brand that, you know, serves a great product and makes a lot of money. It's really about giving back to the community that serves and supports each individual franchise. So I think that's great. Let's shift gears to finance a little bit. So... You mentioned strong business acumen, of course, with your franchise operators themselves. And obviously, they need to have a certain understanding of the critical finances affecting the restaurant, prime cost, that sort of thing. You can control that to a certain extent with your buying leverage, but they still have to manage waste, theft, spoilage, all those things. They still have to manage their labor and controls. You must have certain benchmarks that you coach them on and they have to report to on a weekly basis. Is all that true? Am I missing anything?
0: absolutely that was that is that is uh, at, at the very core of uh our support level for our franchise owners i mean we we look at the business on a weekly and monthly basis with them we obviously report out on metrics uh weekly that we that we uh review uh, across the entire company but on a, on a monthly basis you know we our franchise uh operations managers work directly with our franchise partners and review their p l and, and go through the p l because to your point we feel like we have a good model uh, from prime costs uh, all the way down through through the through the EBITDA line. And so our franchise ops folks um, are, are very actively working with folks to understand where they're where they where they're losing money or where they might be under-levered from a from a financial perspective. And a big part of that is in prime costs. I mean, we have, we know exactly what our theoretical food costs should be and and we know what a good variance to that is. And anything that's over that, you know, we're digging in. Uh, and we're digging into try try to help find where those dollars are. Same thing from a labor labor perspective. Um, you know, part of being successful in, in the industry is uh, is 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 having a good labor model. And you can you can you can cut too deep, which is going to drive poor service, which is something that we look out for as well. But then you right. can be spending from a labor perspective. And so we have we have kind of ideal hours based upon volume that you know that our franchise ops uh, managers uh, really get involved with. And, and try to work and work with our or to create a plan to drive that forward now that being said below those lines below that gross profit line on the p l certainly you know when you talk about things like occupancy and utilities and, and things like that we understand based upon the square footage of restaurants what those what 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 are good parameters for those and and so we're able to help in that and, and even even before they open the restaurant when you think about the occupancy we we have we maintain a very high level of transparency with our owners in terms of what sort of deals that they're looking at uh, and, and signing up for to ensure that you don't get to a point where, you know, all of a sudden the box economics don't work. And if you don't do this certain amount of volume, uh, that restaurant's not going to make it. So we, we want we partner with them to make very smart decisions early on, uh, you know, from a deal perspective. And then once they open, it really becomes about prime costs and, and what's going on within 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 the four walls.
1: Okay. Very good. Ted, may I ask you to speak to your marketing plan and your overall marketing strategy and what marketing support you provide to the individual locations, what their um, individual responsibilities or their individual marketing ideas, where that fits in, or if they have to stick to a pretty structured marketing plan and and, uh, take us there.
2: Yeah, again, I'm going to say that Muya does a really great job supporting this. Um, we uh, walked through a marketing plan just yesterday for our first location in Frisco that uh, the team, the brand team, has been integral in helping us think through. Um, you know, it is a multifaceted approach at this point in time uh, because we are, we are one location um, and Muya as a brand is still underpenetrated, really, within the market you have to be nimble and you have to be, um, you know, smart with your money. And so we look at things from, uh, you know, we're heavy on digital. So we're looking at targeted mobile ads. We're looking at social media and things of that nature. Uh, We're looking at, uh, you know, apps like Nextdoor, right? That's, you know, really where people are starting to communicate much more about what's going on. So how do we integrate into where, people are spending their time to get recommendations about everything from a plumber to a house cleaner to where am I gonna go eat tonight? Um, we are certainly taking a look at direct mail uh, and using that as kind of a mass communication medium in order to, to get our name in front of as many people as possible. Uh, we are looking at partnerships. Um, you know, We talked earlier about the community involvement piece and the churches, the schools, the soccer clubs, things of that nature and you know, establishing a partnership with those kinds of groups um, is a great way to get the community to know that you are there. Uh, and then you've got you know just some of the old fashioned stuff like putting up signs that say, hey, grand opening coming on December 7th, and you put yard signs going down the highway that says, turn right to get to Muyo, right? Those kinds of um, activities, while less prevalent nowadays, they still work, right? In terms of drawing attention to your space and getting people to to recognize, oh, there's something over there. I want to go see what that is. So I would say right now it's a it's a fairly wide ranging strategy. Um, you know, clearly focused more on the digital world um, because that's really where people are interacting.
1: Would you say the operators have a certain autonomy to use you know, corporate supplied marketing materials and websites and that sort of thing, and then they can do their own grassroots efforts in their local communities? How much flexibility is there?
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the way we're structured is, um, here's the tools and resources that are available to you, and then the, the general manager, the local operator who knows that community, you know, is really the one that's got to make the recommendations and say, you know what, I really, there's, uh, you know, 10,000 apartments within five miles of my location. So a targeted mobile ad to those apartments is going to be a great draw, as opposed to I have a huge soccer field that's right across the street from me. And I need to to get those people because I've got 2000, you know, families coming through there every single weekend.
1: Fantastic. Let's talk about The staff piece. We already talked about the training philosophies and that sort of thing, but recognition and rewards are really what keep the brand moving forward, keep the longevity, lower the turnover, that sort of thing, and make people feel like they're part of something special. They want to stay with the company. They want to grow with the company. So, Talk about recognition rewards or incentives or how that works maybe in the individual stores. And then let's talk about upward mobility and how people can rise to become management in those locations and even go beyond that.
2: I appreciate you for bringing that up because I think the, um, there's a longstanding, this is my opinion, there's a longstanding uh, misunderstanding fundamentally of what it means to truly incent and reward your employees. And for many years, it was, you know, I'm going to give them a pen or I'm going to give them a five dollar gift card or, you know, some little Chotsky that, you know, makes you feel good as an employer. But at the end of the day, well, the employee may gravitate towards that for a moment. They're going to walk away from it pretty quickly. Um, Really, for us, recognition comes down to. How we recognize that person as an individual for the contributions they've made, making them feel like they're an important part of the team, and helping them grow and develop and achieve their goals. And and I really can't overstate that enough. Everyone that comes through your restaurant has things that they want to accomplish in their life, right? Right from the 17 year old who is just trying to earn a couple of bucks before they go off to college the college student who maybe is trying to pay for their way through the young parent who's got a second income, right? Everybody comes from a different place, understanding what their needs are and what their goals are, and then meeting them where they are and helping them accomplish their goals is the best recognition you can ever give to your employees. Um I, I sat down yesterday with three managers that we just hired to help us. And, and the conversation for each one of them started with, tell me what you want to get out of this experience. And they each had a different thing that they were looking for, which is great because now my team and I can go back and work with each of them to help them grow and develop and see where they want to be. And yeah, one of them uh, absolutely was hey, I just, I want to take on more responsibility. And I know you guys are going to get bigger and I want to grow and I want to be a multi-unit person someday. Great. That's good to know. We can help you get there as we continue to grow and we're successful. Um, But for others, it it may be something completely different. And rather than giving them a pin or giving them $5, I'd much rather help them develop and grow and get where they want to be. Excellent. Let's talk about locations. Is it easier
1: now to find locations with the sort of fallout in the industry where suddenly locations are for lease on every street corner or how do you find the best locations because obviously the upper echelon of this business in the franchise world control the strongest real estate and that is a critically important piece of what you're doing so what's your philosophy on helping these operators find the best locations and what's the availability or you know is it scarce i mean tell us about that
2: Evolve. i'll tell you about my experience real quick yeah. and then i'll let tony kind of talk about it from a brand perspective okay. um, you know, we're focused here in the dallas fort worth marketplace and what we've seen is that there is more availability what's interesting is that the landlords um, don't recognize yet what's been going on in the world um, they yeah. still yeah. think it's 2019 and they should be getting five percent more than they did last year because that's real estate just continuously goes up um you know we've been that's been a critical piece to us as we've been negotiating for sites is finding a landlord who understands that the world has changed and you know we're not asking you to, to discount your property by 50 percent because that wouldn't be fair to them but what we are asking is are you going to be a good partner with us as we're going through these low occupancy low capacity time periods? are you going to be willing to be flexible with your rent structure whether that's percentage rent or you know monthly ramp-ups or whatever the case may happen to be and then you'll get your money you know as things return more to normal because if we fail as an operator it hurts your property mm-hmm. those are the kinds of things that are critical to us absolutely
0: yeah and and i would just echo ted's sentiments on this you know the world has certainly changed but uh, landlords mindsets are are not uh are not there quite yet and while there there certainly is more uh availability uh out there it, i think i think the key is as ted mentions you know when when you know we go through what we 're going through from this pandemic' it 's about partnerships right this is not just a restaurant industry this is this is society that that is really hurting and struggling right now, and so it, its it 's really about partnerships and, and partnering and not, not trying to get over on anybody, but certainly partnering. And, and, you know, when you partner together as things get better, everybody wins. And and so I think that's, that's the sort of level of partnership that we're looking for. But, you know, from a, from a real estate perspective, you know, in terms of how we support our folks uh, you know, number one, we, we, we invested in a technology uh, called site Zeus uh, a little over 12 months ago. Uh, and so that's given us kind of a, uh, an initial glimpse of, of how we feel, um, you know, a, a movie would do uh, in this location. And we're obviously partnered with brokers on the ground in the different markets we serve and, uh, and, and don't believe, uh, you know, certainly you have technology, you have brokers. And then we also feel that, you know, us as a brand, that, um, you know, for all intents and purposes, you, you got to go stand on the dirt uh, and, and really see it with your eyes as well. So we really use a multi-tiered approach in terms of how we support them uh, and, and try to find the best sites uh, for our owners.
1: Camp out, count cars, uh, get market, market patterns, do market research in that mm-hmm. neighborhood, find out what's going on and see what the competition is doing. I mean, all those things have been done, right, for the longest time, and absolutely. there's some validity to it. Yep, absolutely. I've got two final questions for both of you. First of all, why don't you each, in your own way and in your own words, give the independent operator out there listening to this podcast, it might be a single location mom and pop, it might be a 10 location small regional chain, operators, general managers, what is your best advice to operators today to not only survive this thing, but like I said, come out the other side as a stronger company?
0: I'll go first. Uh, You know... In in the restaurant industry, there is no substitute for delivering a great guest and employee experience. There is no substitute. So from that regard, what I would tell anybody is be the best operator on your block. Ted's probably heard that, that, uh, that saying as well. But be the best operator on your block. You can have the fanciest marketing. You can have the very best burger or steak or sandwich or whatever the case. And somebody might come in one time to try that. Right. But you know what? If you don't deliver a great experience in an environment that's clean and safe for your guests and your employees and have some hot and, and wrap that around uh, great hospitality, folks aren't gonna be back. And 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 I've learned that year after year after year after year. Be the best operator on your mind. Have a great product, but execute that product better than anyone else on your on your street. That's great advice. Yeah, I concur with that completely,
2: obviously. So I'm going to go a, a slightly different way. What I would suggest to the independent operator at this point in time in these challenging times is don't try and do everything by yourself, right? As, as restaurant operators, a lot of times we just take it all on and say, okay, we're going to fight through this and we're going to figure out a way to get it done. Know, know what your weaknesses are and find resources to help you. And that, that can come in a number of different ways, right? That could be your landlord. Um, you know, that you're struggling and and you don't want to admit you're struggling. Um, But you know what? It's okay to go to the landlord and say, hey, I need some help to get through this. If you're not as strong on the financial side, maybe as you are on the operations side, find a trusted business partner or accountant who can help you figure out how to cut 200 or 300 basis points out of your costs right now, because that may be the difference in in getting you where you need to be. If you're working with uh, a small local bank, your banker really wants to help you. They want you to be successful. So, you know, recognize where your weaknesses are uh, and then find some trusted advisors that you can partner with to help you get through these difficult times.
1: That's what I call putting a dream team together. Anyone else out there, whether it's your staff, whether it's your accountant, your CPA, your lawyer, anyone out there, your community partners that you so eloquently mentioned, it's like all these people are part of the team that you know, do good for the community and do good for the business. Thank you for that answer. All right. Finally, you have sort of a forum. If there's anything, we covered a lot of ground today. I asked a lot of key questions about what operators were interested in, but this is kind of a forum for you to either tell us anything that you think we didn't hit on Muya, or there's a lot of operators out there that, or chefs out there that have been out of work that might think about they're looking for a new opportunity. Maybe they want to cash in their 401k, you know, whatever it is. Um, this could be your chance to reach them with this opportunity. If it's for them, who knows if you can tell us anything you'd like.
0: Well, I can, I, I would just tell you that, that we are, we are at the, we are at the base of the mountain uh, in terms of where Mooyah can be. Uh, it's, it's a differentiating product. We have a differentiating leadership team and we're bringing on differentiating franchise partners uh, that are, that we believe are best in class. And, and, and i I, I would just say that you know that this this is one of those opportunities and, and one of those brands that that really is 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 primed uh, for growth and and it's and it's not propped up by anything other than the fact that it's a great product and there's great people behind it and we have great great franchise owners that are uh, that are involved and, and we we work tirelessly as a, as a leadership team to, to really ensure that you know that, that that we're looking at the business from all sides of the cup and and ensure that uh, that we're doing things uh, the right way for the long- term health of the business.
1: fantastic. Thank you, Tony, for that answer.
0: Ted, what do you have to say?
2: You know, I think that i um, I'll speak as a new franchisee to muya and and say that what attracted us to the brand, um, as Tony said earlier, right? I was a consumer before I was a franchisee. a raving um, fan <laughs> absolutely well absolutely loved the food. Yep. but what we've seen from muya's team and this is really critical to us is a commitment to the franchise owners um, and he's talked about that whether that's figuring out how to get prime costs down uh, development of the app which really makes it more convenient and easier for the customer to use it support that they put in place those things are really critical to your long-term success um, You know as we were going through the process of talking with tony and team about doing this one of the things that we kept coming back to occasionally was hey this is all great but what happens you know if and you've got to unfortunately plan for those downsides we know that we're working with a great team of people and that they're going to do everything that they can and everything within their power to make sure that their franchise owners are successful and we're just really excited to to help them um, make the brand stronger and to get Muya to the place where, quite frankly, it, it deserves to be, which is one of the, the leading better burger chains in America.
1: Awesome. Well, I certainly appreciate both of you joining us on the podcast. Uh, you've been a wealth of information, a wealth of experience and knowledge, and you've got us all excited about Muya. So I hope this leads to lots of our listeners heading out there and checking it out for themselves. So that was the Restaurant Rockstars podcast. Thank you, Tony. Thank you, Ted. And we will see you in the next episode, stay tuned. I'm really hungry now, and I'll bet you are too. i bet you want to run right out and grab a Mouya burger. Well, unfortunately, I can't get one because there is yet to be a Moo-Ya in Maine, but when it comes, I'll be sure to go. Right now, I'd have to travel to Massachusetts or New Hampshire to get a Mouya burger, but what a great episode. Two great guys really rocking and rolling this industry, and that's really what this is all about. I hope you got as many learnings and key nuggets of really powerful operational information that I did, so thanks for listening. Listen, please leave us a review on iTunes. If you like what you're hearing, it would be really helpful to get other owners, managers, hotel operators, and etc. anyone in the hospitality business to listen to the podcast. And our goal, of course, is just to help move this industry forward, give you all the information that is easily actionable, give you food for thought, and really transform your business. That's what we're all about here. So once again, thanks for tuning in. I'll see you in the next episode.